0: The following is a message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. More information about Parkview is available at www.parkviewchurch.org. Well, good morning and happy Mother's Day, we're so glad you're here, and if you're visiting with us and here watching some of the dedications, glad you're here. I heard the name Shanka. is Dan Shanka here? Was he here? Did they slip out? Anyway, he was Johnny's baseball coach for a number of years, so I was excited to hear that the Shankas were here, that was exciting. Uh, So glad you all are here. Uh, What I'd like to do is to start by reading a story, a story that was read 75 years ago to the United States Senate, and it has to do with Mother's Day. Once upon a time, there was a town, and the town had a spring, and the spring formed a brook, and the brook ran through the town. All the town grew up around this beautiful, clear brook, and there was a man in the town that simply had one job. He was a keeper of the spring. His job was to take the brook and to keep it pure and lovely, and because the town was watered by it, the town drank from it, and the town grew up around it and prospered by it. And that was the job of the keeper of the spring. But the town grew as show places do, and businesses moved in, and the town expanded, and they needed some additional money, and it was found in their books that this man was paid $300 a month stipend. So they figured that meant... The town was paying $3,600 a year. So they cut him. They took the money and began to use it to build the city, to make it pretty. And they began to notice, though, that people began to get sick. The spring got polluted, and there was a brackish green in the spring and an oily taste. They tested the water and founded parasites not only in the water, but also in the people. Soon they realized that the thing that turned their town from being a showplace into an eyesore was the presence of this one little man. This man who had, from all outward appearance, a very insignificant job. But when you took him away, devastation ensued. This man who was called the keeper of the spring. Well, it was Peter Marshall who was chaplain of the Senate. And 75 years ago, he addressed the Senate. He read that illustration, that story. And then he addressed the Senate by saying, Today, I'd like to speak to you this morning about the topic of mothers. And it's so interesting that Napoleon Bonaparte recognized the same thing when he wrote The Hand That Rocks the Cradle Rules the World. It was Winston Churchill when a London newspaper wanted his 10 greatest teachers. Uh, He said at the top of the list, I want my mom at the top of the list. It was Abraham Lincoln when he received the nomination, uh, winning the nomination within his party. He said, "I don't want the declaration to go forth until a wire is sent to my greatest influence, to my mother." So this morning, what I'd like to do is just to give a tribute to motherhood. And I realize, just like Maria prayed up here, I realize for some people it's a heartache. Maybe you just lost a mother. Maybe you, maybe you'd love to get married and and have kids. And and I understand that. I understand there's heartache uh, behind it all. But on the other hand, all of us have one thing in common. All of us have had at one time or another a mother uh, or else we wouldn't be here. So I do, I do want to honor moms and I want to give a biblical perspective of motherhood, more than just motherhood. It's more parenting, mother, father, family, uh, but a perspective that you will not find uh, communicated in this culture. And I think moms especially need a lot of guidance and encouragement today because the family, motherhood, fatherhood is taking a number of significant shots across the bow. Um, When I did a search from sociologists, psychologists uh, looking at the family and parenting today, some of the pressures on parenting, there were a number of things. Now, again, these are secular psychologists and sociologists, so it's not coming from a Christian value orientation. It's just all it's asking the question is, what's putting pressure on parenting? And the list that they came up with was just the changing in the, in the nature of work and the demands of work. I mean, when you, when you look at families, however you want to define a family, uh, of course, from a Christian perspective, we would have a very clear definition, but they would say uh, when you have one person having one job, two jobs, both having jobs. It really complicates what parenting looks like. It puts a lot of stress on a home. Uh, secondly, said, they said the fragmentation of the family because of multiple separate interests. So not only do you have um, either a mom and a, or a dad or two partners, however they define it, you also have the varied interests of the children that complicates parenting. Uh, certainly from our perspective, we would say great-grandparents, uh, they wouldn't throw the little kid into the back of a buggy and take that little kid to ballet, piano, show choir, taekwondo, baseball, uh, youth group, and, uh, and over to the neighbors to spend the night. It just didn't happen. They stayed at home. It, not necessarily. These folks wouldn't say it's necessarily one's better than the other. They would just say, 100 years ago, parenting was a lot simpler. Uh, They also said that the knowledge explosion, the rapidity of change is a huge influence on parenting today. Uh, 90% of the data that we have today, 90% of the data and the information that we have today, we have created in the last two years. Can you imagine that? I mean, we've gone from talking about kilobytes to gigabytes, to terabytes, to petabytes, to um, exabytes the amount of data we can accumulate is beyond comprehension. So there's that knowledge explosion. I mean, you have parents where our kids know so much more and have so much more information at their disposal, and we are struggling to know how to defriend somebody on Facebook. You know, how do I get them off my friend list? You know, and they're so far beyond us. Another one they listed was the blending of sex roles in the composition of a family. Again, from their standpoint, they're not making value judgments. They're just saying, even if you buy into it, it greatly complicates parenting. Many of you, I'm sure, saw the Barbara Walter special on uh, Bruce Jenner. It just complicates parenting. Uh, there are a lot of other issues, uh, divorce, blended families, the dispersion, the absence of the extended family, et cetera. Well, my question is this. The secular world clearly understands we're in a world of hurt. We need answers. As believers, as Christians, we certainly understand we need answers. Where do we go for help? Well, I did a quick little search on that too. Where do people go for help? Where do moms go for help? Well, I'll tell you where they go for help. They go to Real Simple, they go to Pinterest, they go to Parenting.com, Working Mothers. Uh, you know, they hit the internet, they get some of the popular magazines. The question is, what does the Bible have to say that can really help us as parents, as moms, as dads, especially as mothers uh, today? So what I want to do, since we're in the 23rd Psalm, help me, who wrote the the Lord through whom wrote the 23rd Psalm? Who's the author? David. So we're going to look... David had a kid. His name was Solomon. Solomon wrote a number of psalms too. So we're going to read a psalm written by David's son. And the important thing is is that this is called a wisdom psalm. Uh, The next psalm following 127 is also a wisdom psalm, but they're even more peculiar because they were called psalms of ascent. In other words, each year as the Hebrews, the Jews would go back to Jerusalem, back to the temple. They would every day as they traveled, recite the Psalms of Ascent. So the, the point is these were Psalms that these folks knew backwards and forwards. They could recite them. Now tuck that away and I'm gonna come back to that point at the very end. So we've got some help through this wisdom Psalm. The reason I want to start at 127 is because too many times mothers today, parents today, especially moms today, want to know, how can I be a more effective mother? How can I mother? I would suggest that what we need to do is to actually back up from that question. You know one of the most searched websites for how to mother? It's Disney for parents. It's how do you take your family to Disney World? How do I be a good parent taking my kids to Disney World? Uh, It's amazing. So I would suggest, instead of saying, how do you be a better mom? How do you be a better parent? Let's first ask the question, why? Why, mother? Why, father? I mean, unless there's a big why, how in the world do we say yes to a snotty three-year-old kid? Or to a rebellious teenager? Or why would we even have a verse, lamentations, you know, to help us through (laughs) raising our kids? Uh, We we have to have a huge yes, a huge why um, uh, answer for that, especially with the current birth rate in the United States at 1.91, needing at least 2.1 to maintain fertility replacement. So why even be a parent? Well, the good news is the Bible gives us a very clear why. So if you have your Bibles open to 127, Psalm, right in the middle of the Bible, right in, right in the middle, Psalm 127. And we're gonna start with the fruit of the why. This is the why, the fruit. So we're going to start in verse 3. We're going to start right in the middle of the psalm, and then we're going to go back to the beginning. We're going to talk about the fruit, and then we're going to go to the root, to the foundation. So starting right in the middle, Psalm 127. What I'm going to do, hopefully, if you have a pencil or a pen or maybe a highlighter on your your iPhone, um, I'm going to give you four words I want you to underscore, four words that are critical to understand the why of parenting. The first word is the word gift. Uh, Maybe your translation says heritage. Uh, Other translations will say inheritance. Uh, Children are an inheritance, a gift, a heritage of the Lord. Uh, It's a word, it's a very significant word that was used very specially to refer to some of the most precious things in the sight of God. This word was used Um, as a word to Israel, to refer to the land. The land was a nahalat to Israel. Or to the Levites, it was God himself was their inheritance to the Levites. So it was special. Jesus saw the specialness of what children were supposed to be, the gift, the inheritance, the heritage from God. Uh, thus he would say you know suffer let the little kids come to me don't hinder them to these the very kingdom of God you know belongs uh, to these kiddos or or he would say uh, in a chapter earlier Matthew 18 if anybody causes even the least of these little ones who believe in me to stumble it'd be better off to to, to tie an anchor around their neck and throw them into the depths of the sea So Jesus got the picture. Children absolutely were a gift from the Lord. So Jesus saw that. So children, a big why is, is that children are a gift on the same level as the land to Israel or God himself to the Levites. It's interesting too, Brown Driver Briggs, these are leading lexicographers in the Hebrew language, would say that there's a secondary meaning to Nahawat, and that is children, you could translate it, children are an assignment. They're not only a gift from the Lord, but they're also an assignment from the Lord. Now, we understand that. We understand that this little kid inhabiting our house is an assignment uh, for us. So why, parent? Well, God has designed this special little design bundle of TNT to be uh, an instrument, a curriculum for your life. So a lot of times, most of the time, as parents, what we say is, oh, I want to do a good job teaching my children, leading my children, guiding my children. But on the other hand, God says, yes, I'm going to give you that gift. That's part of it. But the other part is, I'm going to give you this gift because I want to do a work on your life as well. So this little bundle of TNT is specifically designed by God to do a work, a ministry of conforming you into the image of God so you're dealing with this specially designed, God-ordained assignment. Um, So I think one of the most important prayers I think one of the commitments we could have made up here, what would have been set up here, it's not only as parents, I'm committing myself to raise my kids. It's I'm committing myself to learn the lessons that this God-ordained assignment has placed in my life. I'm going to be responsive to God to learn from my kids, okay? Uh, So I think moms, dads, that's one of the greatest prayers you can pray. Not only how can I teach my kids, but how can I learn? How can God use them in my life? Second word, the word gift. Second word is the word, word reward, sakar. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Now, the immediate context of this is out of Genesis 1, verse 28, or Genesis 9, verse 1. Children are a reward for our obedience to fulfill one of God's greatest commands, and that's to fill the earth and to bring it back under the dominion of God. As vice regents, we're called to bring the world back under the dominion of God. So let me ask you this. Moms, dads, especially you moms today, when you think about it, how do you view your kids? How do you view your kids? You can pick up any book on uh, childhood psychology, whether it be Christian or non-Christian, and they will say that the, that the um, self-image that a child develops about himself or herself is chiefly uh, based upon how moms and dads view their kids and communicate to their kids. So in a large way, the way that a child's self-image is developed is by what they perceive that mom and dad feel about them, how they feel about the kiddos. So if that's true, if you, as a mom or a dad, even if you might not say it, but if your child perceives from you that you view them as an inconvenience, that you view them as a menace, that you view them as a nuisance, as a financial burden, as a God-ordained torment to drive you crazy, that's exactly what you're going to create. That's what you'll create. So my appeal is this. My appeal is let's look at the truth of Psalm 128 and let's say if we were to view our children the way God says we're to view our kids, that our kids are his greatest inheritance that he can give to us on the same level as the land to Israel, as the same level as God himself to the Levites, that they are a a heritage, a gift, a God-ordained assignment to help me become more conformed to the image of God and as a reward, a prized possession for my obedience to God. What do you think that will do to the self-tailor-made assignment? That's the vertical nature of parenting when it when it comes when when it comes to um, the fruit of parenting. That's the vertical nature of it. Now, the next word I want you to underline has to do more with the horizontal nature of parenting. The third word. Has seen the word arrows. Like, verse 4, like arrows. So underline that word arrows. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. So this is the horizontal nature. In other words, you could write down, I think it's in your notes, that children are to be an offensive weapon. They're arrows. The arrow was the offensive weapon in the hand of a warrior. Now I want to back up just a second because I've got a word for you parents here. So if this is true, if children are the offensive weapon, if they're the arrows, what does that make the parents? What does that make you, mom, you, dad? That makes you the what? The warrior, right? In this passage, parents are supposed to be the warriors. Gabor is the word. It's the word for mighty champion, hero. So parents are be, to be the mighty champions, the heroes, the warriors. And the way you're going to accomplish your battle, warrior, hero, mighty champion, is with your children who are your offensive weapon. And you think, warrior? What's this? I've I've never read that before. How in the world can we be a warrior? Oh yeah, just read the Bible from cover to cover. In terms of social justice, not only just subduing and restoring the earth, helping the widows and the fatherless, rushing to the defense of the helpless, providing for the poor, battling for the souls of men and women. And your greatest offensive weapon will be your... Arrows to accomplish the battle. Aristotle said in all of his wisdom, we have a lot better chance hitting the target with our arrows if we know what we're aiming at. But I'm afraid as parents, we've been lulled to sleep. I'm afraid as parents, we have lost our warrior mentality. We're numbed to the fact that we're engaged in a warfare. We're numbed to the fact that we're to make a difference in society. We're numbed to the fact that we are to battle for the souls of men and women. Now, I'm going to get off that topic just for a second, and I want to talk to our sub-Christian culture. Do you know what we do? We're so lulled to sleep out of the fact that this is our responsibilities as parents, mighty warrior, hero, mighty champion, Gabor, same word, different translations. We're so lulled to sleep. We so want to pass the buck. What we want to say is we would be a whole lot more effective as a church if we would and fill the blank with everything but us being the mighty warrior with offensive arrows. We'll fill that blank with, we'll be much more effective as a church if, I don't know, the the music were a little different. If we had a little bit more of this or a little bit less of that or a little bit this rather than that, then we'd be more effective as a church. We'd reach more people for Christ. or, Or man, if our youth group would only have more Programs, if we'd only have do this a little bit different and that a little bit different, if we'd only have our small groups or community groups do, do this or do that. You know, we can pass the buck so easily. What is so clear in the Bible, if we want to make a difference in this world, is that parents are heroes. They are mighty champions, that they are warriors and your greatest offensive weapon are your kids. Not passing them to a better youth group. I, I'm, listen, I'm all for great youth groups and, and, and listen, I'm singing to the choir. Our, our family ministry buys it. When I talk to Dave and to Nate and to Nick and, and to Julie and uh, you know to, to these guys, I mean, they're absolutely begging for parental involvement, getting parents off the fence and getting them into ministry. They know this. This isn't a surprise to them at all. So moms and dads, biblically, we have the responsibility. This is our responsibility. It's not the youth group. It's not the church. It's not, let's just don't dump it all on the music director. Wrong tunes, wrong music, you know, wrong instruments. It's our responsibility. So the main point, here's the main point. Primary purpose of parenting is to raise up godly children who can fill the earth and subdue it and bring it back under the control of the lordship of Jesus Christ. That's your greatest investment of your life right there. That's what you're called to do from cover to cover. That's your calling right there. There's a whole lot of discussion that goes on today. ah oh man, should I homeschool? Should I Christian school? Should I private school? Should I public school? Uh, do, do I stay at home? Do I, do I get a job and work? You know, and we agonize with these sub I'm not saying they're not important. I'm just saying they're not the most important question you as parents need to be asking. The better question that you want to at least initially wrestle with is what is going to best equip my child for a lifetime of spiritual worship and spiritual warfare? That's the question you wrestle with. And then it's going to look different for every family. It's going to look different for who you are, what God's called you to be. But what we cannot refuse to answer is, what will best equip my child or my children for a lifetime of spiritual worship and spiritual warfare? But you know where we are, moms and dads? We're back on our heels. We're Counterpunching the culture all the time, hiding in our living room, listening to Fox News, you know, just with our heads buried you know, in, in, in despair. But instead, as parents, man, we should be with our arrows as mighty warriors, we should be leading the charge storming the gates of hell. Not back on our heels, just scared to death about our culture. Parents, mighty warriors, with children, offensive weapons, is God's solution. So, Many of you are going to have kids either going back to or starting at City High or West High or Northwest or Southeast or maybe going to school or Heritage. I mean, there's a whole plethora of places your kiddos might be going after, after summer. Why don't you make sure they go out understanding that there's a battle going on? Have them go out understanding that they are the greatest missionaries that you, mom and dad, will ever send. You might support missionaries all over the world. But I'm not saying that's wrong, but I'm saying your greatest missionaries are your kids. That's the God-ordained method of subduing the earth and bringing it back as vice regents under the authority and dominion of God. Parents with kids doing this together. So send them out. As missionaries, But I'll tell you what, mom and dad, many of you have, have maps with the world and here are the missionaries we're supporting all over the world, which is wonderful. I, I am not saying we shouldn't do that. We should do that. But I'll guarantee you, your kid's picture had better be on that map. You put your kid's picture at West High, at City High, at the University of Iowa, at Iowa State. Uh, wherever they're going, you put your kid's picture there. Or if they're working for a company, put it at that company. But by golly, I'll tell you what, moms and dads, your picture had better be on that map too. Your picture had better be on that map. Let me give you another word to underline. It's sort of a double word. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Uh, lo yebosu, not ashamed, not ashamed. You could put the word shield. So your kids are a gift, a reward, arrows. They are also a shield. Uh, That's the last thing that children are to parents. In other words, you're the ultimate shield or defender of our character, of who we are in Christ. This passage, verse five, implies that uh, the idea is that someday your enemies are going to go after you and they're going to drag you to the gate. In other words, they're gonna, your enemies are going to drag you to court and you're going to be on the defense. And the ultimate shield to your character, the ultimate backdrop to your character is your kids. So that your Lo, yebushu, not ashamed. So moms, dads, I want you to listen to me. The ultimate backdrop for your character is not your occupation. It's not your degree. It's not how much you have. It's not what you drive. It's not the college you attended. It's not the clothes you wear. The ultimate backdrop for your character kids. So mom, listen, you're the keeper of the spring. You're the keeper of the spring. Do you realize how important your role is? Dads, are you taking on the role of the Proverbs 31 husband who applauds her? Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. You know, throughout the years, ever since I've been married, you know, for 41 plus years now, guys would come up to me, hey, Jeff, what's your wife do? You know, and by that, what do they do means what kind of, what do are, what are they work at for a living? And, you know, I used to say before we had kiddos, before, you know, we had to make choices, you know, I'd say, well, Cheryl's a conductor. Uh, she's a band director. She's a musician. Uh, But, you know, then we have six kids and, you know, that necessitated some decisions where she would stay at home and and, uh, work with the kiddos as a keeper of the spring. And uh, so, but I would still have the same questions. Jeff, what is your, what does your wife do? And so I started answering my wife raises and shapes eternal humanity uh, into the image of God. What does your wife do? (laughs) (laughs) you know, I think of Mary. Can you imagine Mary? If anybody asked Mary in her older age, hey, Mary, what'd you do? I raised three kids. Two wrote the New Testament. One saved the world. (laughs) You know, listen, I am not saying, please don't misread me. I am not saying anything about you shouldn't get a good education. I am not saying that at all. You know, I pray to God we have in our family, our kids and grandkids, we have a total of about 25 now. We've got uh, one, one in the, one in the um, uh, hangar, two on the runway, and about uh, 16 others. <laughs> and with six kids. And, you know, I, I pray to God, all of them get PhDs. You know, I, I would love that. Nothing would thrill me more if, if that happened. I, it probably won't, but... I would be thrilled. So it has nothing to do with that. So I am not making a statement about should you work in the home, outside the home, quit your job, blah, blah, blah. What I am saying is non-negotiable, moms and dads. What is non-negotiable is that you are the keeper of the spring. That is non-negotiable. It's not an option. For you to neglect your family is not an option. Now you play it out however it plays out, and every family is going to look a little bit different, and that's okay. But you ask the right questions, and you deal with the ultimate question, are you the keeper of the spring? So what is the foundation for effective mothering? Real easy, we can get through it real quick. What's the key to building a home that will be filled with God-honoring fruit. So let's go back to the very beginning of the psalm, verse one, I can summarize it pretty quick. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake at night. So the whole foundation is, you have to build it on the Lord Jesus Christ. And that means we fall on our face and we say, God, I'm not infinite. I can't see the beginning. I can't see the end. I'm confused. And you fall on your face before God and just say, God, whatever it takes, would you please, by your grace, by your strength, through your Holy Spirit, help me build this house. You've got to do it, Lord. You've got to build a house. So I know it sounds sort of religious, doesn't it? Doesn't that sound, let the Lord build the house? That sounds like religious almost nothing. What does that mean? Well, let me tell you what it means. Remember I said this is a wisdom psalm. It's a psalm of ascent, Psalm 128. It was recited and immediately followed. 127 was followed by 128. The first verse of 128 answers the question, what does it mean to let the Lord build a house? Verse one of the next psalm that was recited says blessed is everyone who fears the lord who walks in his ways you think well that sounds like another bit of religious mumbo jumbo what does that mean fear the i can understand the walk in his way but what does it mean to fear the lord so here it is to fear of the lord is the response of our whole being to all of who god is That's what it means to fear the Lord. To fear the Lord is the response of my entire being, my mind, my emotion, my will, my money, my free time, my career, my home, my relationships, to all of who God is. So I could paraphrase it this way. How blessed are those who respond with their whole being to all of who God is, who walks in his ways. Now, let me tell you why it's so important that it's Solomon who wrote Psalm 128 and 127 or 120. That whole thing on the family, Solomon wrote. It's because Sol- it's not enough. He wrote it. I mean, the Lord through Solomon wrote Psalm 127. So you'd think if anybody would get it right, it would have been Solomon, Right. But it's, here's my appeal to all of us. It's not enough to know Psalm 127. It, it's not enough for us to be able to regurgitate it, to memorize it, to, to recite it, to, to be able to parse every verb. It's not enough. Solomon wrote it and his family was a dismal wreck. Why? It's because he didn't fear the Lord and walk in his ways. He didn't apply it. It's not enough just to know this. It's, it demands that we fear the Lord, that we understand who the Lord is, respond with our whole being to all of who God is, and we walk then in his ways. That's what we have to do. We can't do part of it. I mean, to know it without doing it, like Solomon, is just, just to abort, abort the entire intent of Scripture. But on the other hand, to do something without without starting with knowing and just to go off doing is misguided, misdirected, well-intentioned, but very misguided and misdirected. It is the antithesis of the whole message of Proverbs, which says, don't live and learn. Proverbs says, no, you learn the truth first, then you live. Learn, live. Psalm 127, Psalm 128, verse 1. Takes both. A lot of people have done it. I love the story of Sarah Edwards, Jonathan and Sarah Edwards. Did a great job as Keeper of the Spring. A lot going on in their lives. But of the 1,400 descendants of Jonathan and Sarah Edwards, uh, one researcher said of their descendants, there were 13 college presidents, 65 professors, two deans, one of a law school, one of a medical school, 100 lawyers, 30 judges, 66 physicians, 80 holders of public office, three senators, three mayors, of large cities, three governors of states, one vice president of the United States, a comptroller of the U.S. Treasury, numerous bankers, industrialists, dozens of missionaries and their descendants published over 135 books. Why? Because they took their job seriously being the keeper of the spring. I wanna close with two thoughts. Number one, mom, what kind of memory are your kids forming of you? What kind of memory are your kids forming of you? Is it what you do or is it who you are? Secondly, to husbands, or to us as children who have moms, if you don't honor your wife, if you don't honor your mother, who in this culture will? Motherhood is in the crosshairs of this culture. And if you don't honor your mom, if you don't honor your wife, who in the world is going to do it? So what I want to do, everyone who is a mother, either your kids might have moved off, could have died, whatever, if you're a mother or if you're pregnant, I want you to stand. Mother or if you're pregnant, stand. Please, quickly. This is a tribute to moms, okay? Now, everybody get their eyes on them. Now I want everybody else to stand up. Everybody else stand up, and for everybody else who just stood up, I want you to raise your right hand, and I want you to repeat after me, and I want you to just let it rip. You say it loudly, okay? To motherhood. motherhood. To, the of the, of the, uh, to the keeper of the spring. Long live the queen. Now give a mom a hug. Right now, give a mom a hug. And I'm going to close in prayer, okay? Let me close. God, thank you. Thank you for this special day. We thank you for moms. Uh, We thank you for dads. We thank you for children. Uh, And oh God, as Maria prayed earlier, our hearts do go out to those who would love someday to get married or who are married and would love someday to have kiddos and just pray that you would uh, give them peace in your sovereignty and I pray father too that as moms and dads we would do a great job appreciating these little gifts these rewards uh, the shield these arrows uh, and I pray, Father, these, that you would use these little assignments in our lives to make us more like you. We love you so much. And we thank you. We just pray that this would be a day of blessing uh, for this entire church. We ask it in Jesus' name.